So last week we looked at the ideas of unity and joy and peace and how we ultimately have those in Christ. And though we have them in Christ, they are things that the Christian should be working towards as well. We don't just have them 100% and we're like good to go. We have to work at them. Unity doesn't just happen, nor does rejoicing in all things or having peace that passes all understanding. We have to work at these things. Just like we learned in the rest of Philippians, while these things in their have we are have their fullness in Christ, we are also called to work them out, to understand them more and more as we grow in Christ. Today we see those ideas coming full forward as Paul's wrapping up his letter by speaking again of the gift that he received from the Philippian church, rejoicing in the Lord at their concern for him. The Philippian church showed a singular devotion to Paul, even unlike a lot of the other churches that he had served in those days. And by doing so, they demonstrated the unity that they had together with him in Christ. As we move forward this week, we take a step further by looking at how God uses the act of giving to grow us. For the Philippian church, they had already experienced this kind of growth. We experienced, or we read that in chapter 1 as Paul tied their sanctification and their concern for him together. One of the things that we've said lots in this study that you see over and over again in the New Testament especially is the idea that the believers shows themselves to be believers by how they live. And giving is a major component of that because we have received such great a gift in our salvation. How much more then should we return that gift? We can't give to Jesus directly. Obviously, He's at the right hand of the Father. But remember what He said. Whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. We should ourselves be Christ-like in how we give to others and support others in their times of need. However, in order to give well, you have to receive well. Paul teaches us in these first few verses of this passage. So let's look at the first point, receiving with gratitude. Look with me again at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here Paul is bringing back up the gift that was given to him by the Philippian church and is making sure that they understand that he is not rebuking them. Their concern was new because the need was new. They had always had this kind of concern for him, but now that he is in need, being back in prison, they have this great opportunity to serve him. They've shown their concern by sending gifts to him through the man Epaphroditus, who we talked about in chapter 3. He's mentioned again in our passage today. So now he takes a moment to speak of his contentment with this. Look again at verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Though they are given to him out of their generosity and desire to minister to him, he wants them to know his attitude toward this gift that they have. He has learned that whatever happens, he should be content. Furthermore, he explains whatever situation he's found himself in. He's found himself in lots of situations. right? He's able to be content, whether he's low or high whether he's plenty or hunger, whether he has abundance or whether he has no abundance, he has found himself 
to be content. Whatever situation you put him in, he's able to deal with it because he has this secret that he mentions in verse 12. Just a few things here before we go on. First, this isn't him kind of throwing the gift back at them. right? So many times we do this. Someone gives us a gift. Well, you didn't have to do that or I can't accept that. right? We, we kind of do that thinking to show humility or something like that. But he's not throwing it back at them. Several times he's thanked them and showed them how his gift would not only help him, but it would help their church also, right? That this was going to sanctify them. This was going to be a sign of growth for them. He's speaking from gratitude, but using this as an opportunity to teach them as well. And I want to mention here also one of the prevailing philosophies of the time, which is the philosophy called Stoicism. This isn't Paul being a Stoic either. This is the idea that we could be content in life through self-discipline, through through being reasonable, just understanding things more. We could find contentment in our current situations. This was to counter the hedonism of the day, which found contentment in pleasure alone. For the Stoic, they could be content in whatever situation they found themselves in because they were reasonable people, because they had self-discipline. They didn't just kind of let themselves go by all these desires of pleasure. But they were disciplined. This is captured later by the monastic movement in church history several times throughout the church history. It's even rearing its head again here even recently. The idea that the most pious way to live is to be poor and needy. There have been several Christian books in the last 20 years that have, that have kind of spiritualized this radical way of living, which makes it seem that if one could simply have self-discipline from their materialistic ways, they could really then, and only then, learn to live as if Christ, or for, as Christ taught them to live. Well, Paul tells us he knows what the secret is, and it has nothing to do with his self-discipline. It has nothing to do with his being a reasonable man. His secret is Christ. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Just a quick translational note. We don't see the word Christ here. You don't see it in the original language either, but the church has translated it that way for centuries, and we see it in lots of modern translations, mostly because of the context, also because of the other textual elements in relation to the other letters that Paul wrote at his time. The main idea here is that Paul has learned contentment, and it has nothing to do with resigning himself to his circumstances. Well, my circumstances are going to be whatever they're going to be. I just need to discipline myself and be reasonable about it. In fact, it's quite the opposite of that. He believes in a God who is the God over his circumstances and who's able to find contentment because his strength does not lie in his reason or self-discipline, but rather in Christ who is infinitely strong. Earlier I said in order to be a good giver, you have to be a good receiver. A good receiver is able to receive the well-thought-out gifts of others without any weirdness because their strength doesn't rest in that person's opinion of them. One of the main reasons we don't want to accept gifts from others is because we don't want them to think that we are weak or unable to care for ourselves or that we lack contentment in any way. I don't need your gift I'm perfectly fine by myself. I'm able to take care of myself. Of course, we wouldn't say those things out loud. We just say them by kind of saying, hmm, 
I don't need this, but thank you. Or you shouldn't have done that, even as polite as that sounds. The chief reason we struggle in our relationship with God is because we can't simply rest in the good gifts that He has given us. Why? Because we want our name on them. We want to say, I don't need you. I did this. When we didn't do anything, Jesus did it all and He still does it all. We can desperately try to make it seem as if He's really only our assistant at the end of the day, that when I added a little bit of Jesus to my life, that's when things got better. I can do all things through Christ because He's right here beside me, kind of pushing me along as I climb the mountain and stand on top, arms raised in a V. That's not how this works. In our lives, we only do it because Christ is our strength, whether or not we acknowledge Him to be so. He deserves all the glory. So then we can say with Paul, verse 14, what does he say? Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He was totally fine with receiving their gift without losing anything at all. It's 100% okay for the Philippian church to support. In fact, it's our duty, it was their duty, to support one another, to bear one another's burdens. Paul didn't need them. All of his needs are met by the real source of strength in Christ. But it was right for them to give and it was right for him to receive. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope you have many opportunities to receive over the next few weeks. It is the tradition of this country to do so in the next few weeks as we celebrate Christmas together. Let me encourage you to accept those gifts to you with thanks as opposed to pretending to reject the gift. Just say thank you. Show gratitude. Someone cared enough and thought enough to give you a gift so to say thanks. Give glory to God. And from Him alone, draw your strength. This is going to train you also how to give more cheerfully. And that brings us to the second point, give with generosity. In the next few verses, Paul spends some more time making sure that they understand that he didn't need their gift. Paul spends quite a bit of time doing this, but he also makes sure that they understand that their gift was a good thing. Not just because it met his needs, because it was good for them. It may seem as if Paul wasn't thankful. I believe that he was for sure. He makes mention of this several times. Yet he makes sure that they understand the main purpose behind their giving wasn't to meet his needs. Rather, their giving is an act of worship. Let's look again at verses 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering. The gifts that he sent, what does he say they are? A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He seeks the fruit that increases to your credit. The gifts sent were there to help Paul, but more importantly, they were considered a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. While Paul wasn't the direct recipient of the gift, they were ultimately, or Paul was the direct recipient of the gift, they were ultimately gifts to God Himself. And if there was ever one who didn't need anything at all, it's obviously our Creator. He created all things from nothing by the word of His power. He doesn't require our gifts. He doesn't even require our existence. 
Yet over and over in Scripture, we are asked to give to the Lord, to give to the work of the Lord. Generosity for the believer is an act of worship. While the receiver is able to receive benefit from the gifts, whether it's money or goods or whatever it is, the true receiver is God Himself. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The instruction is for the believers to give because these things are pleasing to God. We don't talk much about giving here at Redeemer. We've never passed a plate around, as you know, it's the tradition of some. We never intend to, not because we believe that to be a wrong practice necessarily at all. It's not wrong for other churches to do that. We want, but we want folks to give, not under any kind of social compulsion, right? Like here comes the plate. Uh oh, are people watching me? Are they going to watch me give? Are they going to watch me not give? We all know the feeling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So we don't want you to give under any kind of social compulsion, rather out of a true act of worship to a holy God. The Lord has always cared for the needs of this church, will continue to do so until He sees fit, and the people of God should continue to give toward the work of this church, because in doing so, it is your act of worship to God, along with our songs and our prayers and our confessions of faith and all that we do. It is an act of worship. It is a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And I'll say this as an aside also when it comes to giving. If you're visiting with us this morning, or even if you're still on the fence concerning membership here, or whatever your commitment level is to this church and Redeemer Community Church, we aren't asking for your money unless you are committed, you have committed yourself to this body of believers. Churches and pastors regularly get accused about it all being about all the money. You've heard this before. Yada, yada, yada. You understand it. And if you think that that's what this is about, please, we don't want your money. Do not give. Do not give. You ought to be giving of your resources to the work of the Lord, including your money, your time, and other resources, the things that the Lord has blessed you with. But only give as an act of worship to God. Christians ought to be giving to the work of the Lord, but if you're still working that out, take as long as you need. If you have questions, you can ask me or one of the elders. We want this to be an act of worship, strictly. Paul speaks of the fruit that comes from giving is a fruit that increases to your credit. And he elaborates that on verses 19 through 20. That brings us to the last point, sanctifying us through both. Look at verse again at verses 19 through 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what was the result of the Philippian church giving to him? That God will supply every need of yours, Philippian church, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. According to his riches. What are the riches of God? Well, what aren't they? What doesn't He own? What doesn't He have direct control and oversight over? Which resources aren't at His immediate disposal? One of the true blessings of giving is that our needs are met. And I believe that there is indeed a physical component to this. How couldn't you? 
We read from the Psalms this morning in Psalm 112. We see here in Philippians 4, over and over in the Bible, we see this idea. I believe that God gives to His people in response to our gifts to Him. You see this over and over, all the way back to the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even Cain and Abel. If you want to go back further than that, there is material blessing associated with giving. There is no doubt. There can't be any doubt. Yet, again, why do we give? Again, as we discussed, our motivation for giving is an act of worship to God. This passage, this idea of, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory has been used to steal lots of money from lots of poor and desperate people who think that by giving some crook their money, they could increase their own wealth. And that is not what this passage is about. That is not how God works. God is not bound by our version of what His promises should look like. If we think God's purpose is to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise, we do not know the God that we worship. But what does He promise? To supply all of our needs. What are our needs? Paul summed it up pretty plainly earlier, didn't he? In verses 12 and 13, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. While material needs are real, and for some, material needs are really a life and death kind of situation. I've never experienced real hunger or anything like that, so I don't possibly understand, but I do understand that there are lots of people who pray for food, and they wonder when God is going to answer that prayer, and so I'm not taking that away. But they aren't the true need that we have. Ultimately, our need is spiritual, and Jesus alone can answer that. He gave His life as a ransom for many, and each and every one of that many were His enemies. They were not seeking Him. They were not righteous. They were not good. No, not one. Yet Jesus emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We read this earlier in chapter 2. And He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this He did for His enemies. He became sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. This is what He has given us, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're an unbeliever here today, you may think yourself a pretty generous person. Generosity is one of those things that we tend to judge ourselves according to, right? Well, I'm a pretty giving person. I'm pretty nice with my time and money and all these things. But all the generosity in the world won't help you when you stand before a holy God. God doesn't require generosity. He requires perfect righteousness. And without Christ, you cannot possibly attain that. Jesus died so that you may have eternal life, and He did so by satisfying the wrath of God that was meant for you. You can have this gift of eternal life. Receive it by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus today and be saved. Believe that He is Lord. And you can be saved. For believers here, we have 
this righteousness, this perfect righteousness, this undiminishing righteousness of Christ. This is a gift to us. One of the hardest things we do in our walk with Him is coming to the understanding that we have received this gift in full. That we aren't adding to it. That He's not adding to it based upon our merit. That it is 100% in full now, today, in Christ. So how should we respond? Don't be a reluctant receiver. Know the peace that you have in Christ and rest in His righteousness and accept the good gifts of others, seeing them as a token of love to you. But take that and let that fruit of that righteousness in you manifest itself in being a giver of the blessings that He has given you. And just think a minute of the blessings that He's given you. It's infinite. You can't possibly give more than He has given. And so we should give in that abundance that we have Bless this church. Bless one another. Bless those in need. Ultimately, everything you give are gifts given as a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to a holy God because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Be generous with the blessings that God has given you. Show each other that generosity and show the lost world of what you have in Christ. Let's go to Him in prayer.